0: This week on A Lively Experiment, a high-profile murder case from the past is the inspiration for legislation at the Statehouse. And will T.F. Green Airport get a new name?
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining
0: us this week, former Rhode Island Attorney General Arlene Violet, Boston Globe reporter Dan McGowan, and political strategist Rob Horowitz. Hello everyone, I'm Jim Hummel, we appreciate you joining us this week. Should anyone wrongfully convicted of a crime in Rhode Island receive compensation from the taxpayers of the state? It's become a hot topic at the State House as former Warwick police detective Scott Hornoff, who spent six years in prison for a murder he did not commit, has been pushing compensation legislation during this year's General Assembly session. Uh, General, let's go to you because the, the uh Prosecutors were involved in, not your prosecutors, but many years ago. Mm -hmm. I know this is going on in other states. I just wonder about this. What are your thoughts? Well,
2: one wrongfully convicted person is one too many. Uh, Fortunately, there's probably a pool about a half a dozen that we know of uh, right now. But absolutely, I think they should be compensated. Uh, The worst thing that can happen to you is to uh, end up in jail. Uh, The prospects uh, for you being employed thereafter are horrendous. And as you know, state of Rhode Island versus... Is the is the way the uh, criminal case is entitled? So when the state makes a mistake, of course, uh, it should be compensated. And I think the fifty thousand per year standard that's in that legislation is a correct amount. And per I wonder year. why
0: it hasn't happened before. Now, I mean, clearly you need a high profile person like Scott Hornoff to be able to push it. But other states have moved toward this. So yeah. Rhode Island's a little bit maybe behind yeah. on this.
2: Yeah, usually there is a s- notorious case that precipitates uh, those awards being passed legislatively. So I'm glad. It's happened. It's time is overdue. And I do think people should be compensated uh, if they're incorrectly incarcerated.
3: Yeah, it seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, in, in definitely in other states, I think uh, there are many that already do this. Um, I wonder also if it, if it allows this kind of situation where uh, now folks in the terrible circumstance where this would happen, now folks know what they're eligible for. Maybe it protects the state a little bit from a much larger lawsuit and mm-hmm. things like that if you're putting a cap on it. So it might actually... Be, um, I suppose a cost saver uh, in some ways.
1: I agree. I think I, I agree with both the other panelists. I think it is it's a sound thing to do. The, the worst thing, as the attorney general said, is former attorney general is to uh, is to lose your freedom, especially for a series of years for something you didn't do. And I think it, it speaks. I, positive change in the whole criminal justice system, which is the governing assumption used to be before DNA that 99.999 percent of the people that, that, that were accused of crimes were, were guilty. Still an overwhelming majority, but now we know mistakes are made. And, and the fact that the criminal justice system can, can correct those mistakes, I think, builds faith in the whole system. And but, while
2: there's some argument, you know, that taxpayers shouldn't, why didn't the person who wrongly Prosecuted them, et cetera. But the fact is, they they have immunity. and they have immunity, uh, virtually, uh, virtual hundred percent immunity. It's so hard to puncture. Potentially suing a prosecutor, attorney general, a judge, et cetera. So it only has to come down to. Uh, the state of Rhode Island. I
0: will tell you, I covered that case. I was there the day Victoria Cushman was murdered. I I was with the Journal, and then I covered the trial every day with Channel 6. And it was one of those things. People ask me, do you think he's guilty or not? Based on the evidence, I I think it was a toss-up. What bothered me, and let me ask you as a former attorney, general, and prosecutor, the the veteran prosecutor, Randy White, who had also done a couple other cases that that went sideways, there was never an apology from the state of Rhode Mm -hmm. Island after that. The prosecutors, the state police, nobody after that case, when Scott Hornoff, when they found it all disappeared. And I don't know whether they think the mindset is, well, if I apologize, then that kind of weakens me going forward. But he never got
2: an apology from the state of Rhode Island. And I wonder if that's fueling a lot of this. Yeah, obviously the state should do the apology, uh, even if you weren't the attorney general that was involved at the time. Of course, I have had I been in office when he got in exonerated, I most certainly would have apologized to him on behalf of uh, my uh, predecessors. So absolutely, an apology should be forthcoming.
0: Okay, more uh, uh, interesting news coming out of the attorney general. A lot of attorney general office news this week. Uh, Peter Nerona, who succeeded Peter Kilmartin, has decided to reverse a decision by his predecessor and give Representative Pat Morgan a a document she had been seeking uh, concerning the Google settlement money. Dan, I know we've been talking about this a long time. He also refunded Representative Morgan $3,700, gave her the redacted copies. If you haven't been following this, it's been a little bit circuitous. But this is a big step, and I think it really shows kind of the punitive way – that they were using against representative Morgan and obviously the new AGCs otherwise
3: absolutely and and let's be honest i mean we as reporters certainly jim you and i know very well that that uh, public records laws uh, are, are oftentimes used against whether it's reporters or, you know, members of the public. In this case, Representative Morgan, um, sure, was she running for governor? Was she looking for, you know, a bunch of attention? Yeah, but guess what? She was entitled to uh, these records on the Google settlement, and, and unfortunately, um, it's it's fairly common sometimes for governments to um, to really try to block access. So I think it's a good move by uh, the Attorney General, and, and um, it's a good I think it's a, a win for, uh, for former Representative Morgan, but it's also a really good thing for taxpayers and, and certainly uh, probably going forward for journalists.
1: I agree, and, and, and for, as you said, for taxpayers and for citizens, because the promise of open records, records laws is that citizens can get nearly the same information and have access to it if they want it as our elected officials, and that's part of what you need in a democracy. And so I thought what the Attorney General Narona did, did was, was terrific, and, and that should be, unless there's a compelling reason to withhold, like personnel matters, uh, the default position should be, public's entitled to these records, whoever in the public is. That that is, and, and that that will also build faith in in government, which is which is sorely lacking these days. Yeah, it also
0: d- kind of makes you realize what, what was he worried about. Maybe he was worried about some embarrassing information coming out. As you looked at that, both as a yeah. former AG and just, the, and I know you're very <coughs> heavy on. Open Records, what did you think as you saw that unfolding last year in real time?
2: Oh, I certainly felt that uh, the spirit and the heart of uh, the Open Records was was being violated. Uh, I thought Patricia Morgan was correct, and I just want to say, hooray, Peter... Neurona,
3: right? And this was a no. I mean, this one seemed fairly clear-cut, right? I mean, I think everybody, certainly in the journalism community, saw this and said, "Wait a minute, you know, Patty Morgan's probably in the right here. Deserves these records." But you know, for folks at home who who maybe get confused about this, it's a one of the things that happens with our public records laws is, you know, let's use it as a journalist. I put in something. The city of Providence, city of Providence looks back and says, "Ooh, this is going to be a little bit damaging. Let's find ways to." Wear you out. Let's find ways to right. Let's push it down the line. Let's redact lots of things. Let's charge you a lot of money. Exactly, and And especially for private citizens. I know Patty Morgan in this case was not, but it's really hard. Journalists. Luckily, we can always fight. We can take to the bully pulpit and and take to Twitter and yell about it. But somebody gets a three thousand dollar bill in the mail, they're probably going to go away, and that's a scary thing.
0: All right. A story you might not have seen. Uh, There's an online publication called Eco RI News, and their reporter Tim Faulkner had a very interesting story this week. Ten former directors of the Department of Environmental Management are making a plea uh, to the legislature to uh, give an additional $4 million saying that the camps, the uh, beaches, the the state campgrounds and parks really need it, that there's deferred maintenance that's going to come back to bite us. Rob, I know you've been looking uh, at a little bit of the figures. It seems like a no-brainer for... $4 million and a $10 billion budget, but it doesn't look like there's a lot
1: of movement on this. I think you're right. There, there doesn't appear to be a lot of movement and it is a... It, it, Substantively it's a complete no-brainer. Our, our parks are one of our greatest assets. Um, even if you just look at it economic, economically, excuse me, trying to do that word, um, tourism is such a big piece of our economy. But also just for, for, for all the people that love Rhode Island because of the quality of life, keeping our state parks, which are beautiful, up, upgraded and and up to speed is, is, is a critical thing to do. And if you don't spend the money now, just like with our roads, which we let become the worst in the country, you're going to spend a lot more later. The problem is that there is not a strong lobbying constituency. Everyone likes the parks, and some of the environmentalists are going out there for it, but there's other issues. But there's And at the last minute in the budget process, if you're trying to get money, the lobbyists, unfortunately, usually win out.
0: Are you saying... Lobbyists have influence at the State House? Is that what you're telling
1: me? (laughs) Isn't that news at 11? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it may be. Well, what I was going to say was just
3: I, I think it's it's one of those things where uh, one of the challenges is, is there's there's not a dedicated stream of revenue for it, right? If you remember at the beginning of the year. Which is what the
0: governor tried to do, Yeah, you know, right? tried
3: to do, and, and folks you know, were, didn't have the appetite for that. I think one thing that's potentially good is the both the in and, and the General Assembly and at the governor's office say that tax revenues are coming in a little slightly better than anticipated. Maybe you've got a solution there, but without a dedicated stream of money, um, it's very difficult. Difficult to do this, uh, this you're going to have this problem again. This is a test.
2: Right. And the test is will the General Assembly, <laughs> which has the surplus funds that they weren't expecting, will they do it right and at least give the measly $4 million to hire 10 maintenance people or not? That's what they should do. However, the perverseness. That occurs here in the state of Rhode Island is they let everything go and then they have to do bonds. bonds. So and that has been the dog and pony show. We're not going to do it. We'll get wrecked out and then we'll come back and ask for fifty million from the public rather than take because it. Because it's so budget.
0: desperate. That's the old pay me now, yeah. pay me later, right? Yeah, but yeah. look at the figures that Tim had in his story. He said that since 1989, the full-time park staff has dropped from 123 to 42, and DEM overall has shrunk from 650 to 380. Now, some of that may have needed during the Kachiri years, but these are the front-line people who, when you go to Goddard Park, when you go to Colt State Park, and I just don't get that you know, in the overall context of the budget.
3: Yeah, and something tells me that attendance at these uh, various parks all around is <laughs> going way up, and so as, as we cut. You know, more people are coming in, more people littering, things like that. Just the very nature. It's what terrifying. has astounded me,
0: now don't get any ideas out there if you're a legislator watching this. They, remember they eliminated the fee at at Cold state and and Goddard Park, which I think is appropriate i 'm really and they have the booths there that you go in, and you know they 're on man i 've always wondered why they haven 't reinstituted that, but they probably figure it 's just pennies
1: on the dollar uh, and, the, and the other piece of it is the, the budget is as, as we were talking about before the show, Jim, i mean, the state budget 's about ten billion dollars. this is four million dollars it 's pennies. Uh-huh. Um, so so I, Dan's point is well taken that there's not a dedicated stream of revenue. On the other hand, there shouldn't have to be for something that, that, that that, that's a priority for the state, and this clearly is something that should be a priority for the state. So
0: let's talk about that as we're heading into June, and we expect that the General Assembly session will be wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. Dan, a lot of loose ends. The budget's always the big gorilla. That hasn't changed from year to year. Abortion's still an outlier Um, what do you see heading into the last couple of weeks? Yeah,
3: I mean, you're exactly right. When you look at the budget, obviously, you know, big questions include whether or not the governor is going to get to expand the free tuition program to Rhode Island College, Um, certainly universal pre-K that she proposed. I mean, two big major proposals that she's really rallied for. Certainly Continues to. Continues to, right. She was at Rhode Island College just this week. Um, I think when you have... seemingly extra revenue they think that there's a way to do this i think that there's still not a huge appetite for this from both house and senate leadership and so we'll see where that goes and then yes of course the abortion uh fight i think will probably come down to really the end of the year the end of the session does seem like and rob knows a bit more about this than i do probably but it does seem like there is a compromise to be had there but we'll see if it actually comes through
1: yeah full disclosure Sandra archibald is a political client of mine okay um who's in the middle of this uh, abortion fight as a as a key swing vote on the judiciary committee and and I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be um some form of compromise before the end of the session there may not be because it's a tough issue but um but also
0: the chits start getting traded with you give me this i give you that and whatever's important maybe in the budget figures into that right i
1: think that's tough on choice because people choice is an issue people really sort of have pretty dugout positions on but I think there's a compromise around um, codifying Roe v. Wade but putting some safeguards around late term abortions post viability abortions and I think that's probably where the conversation is right now and we'll have to see if we can get to yes um, but there's, there's 80 or 85% agreement on this. Uh, unfortunately what happens on it, sort of highly charged issues is sometimes you got to get further than 80, 85% but, it, but there is a compromise to be had
2: uh, a budget, we call it that, but it's all about priorities, because that's what a budget does. What are the state's priorities? Uh, and on the abortion issue, uh, I'm pessimistic that anything will, in fact, pass. Uh, it's getting too close to the end. I, I think Roe v. Wade uh, should be codified. Uh, we see what's happening all around us. Uh, your client's argument, uh, or Mr. Raptakis, who said, Well, there's really no threat against it yet. Just look what's happening in states. Uh, popping up right now. And do you
0: think that has an influence on what's going on in Rhode Island? They see Alabama. Do you think that puts pressure, or they say, well, that's somewhere else?
2: Yeah. Well, it should put pressure uh, on. Uh, it takes away that argument that there's nothing uh, to, to worry about. Uh, and also I feel the same thing about the, uh, the the sexual abuse and letting the church off the hook, et cetera. I just don't see that potentially right. getting compromised to, by the end of the year.
1: Just to be clear, Senator Archibald's position as opposed to Rep. was yeah. position is we should codify Roe v. Wade. That's yes. what his does. That he just wants some belt and suspenders around late-term abortions. Mm-hmm. So, yes. But he does believe, as, as you just said, okay. that we should code a fair yeah. What
0: with. about the, some of the governor's signature plans that she still is pushing for? <laughs> when you're when you're the House Finance Committee and you're ready to release the budget hot off the presses, that $10 million is an easy thing to go, right, in the Rhode Island Promise. So I don't – the speaker's been a little bit lukewarm on that, but she continues to press well, it. Well,
2: she wants to expand it. So yeah. I think uh, the monies that are allocated for, for the CCRI junior you will know, we'll continue. Right. But I don't see uh, and in the cods that is going to be expanded.
0: Are you hearing anything about how long this this session goes? It's not an election year. The budget is always, and they mysteriously, not maybe not so mysteriously, all of a sudden <laughs> magically come forward. They're going to have a little right. bit of time yeah. of deliberation, but I wonder if this goes into late June, early July.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you don't have the election year, you tend to go longer. Is how historically how it has gone. Although, um, you know, I was hearing just this week asking around the, the state house. Folks are hopeful that maybe you get a budget the second week of June. You get the, the at least the introduction from the House Finance Committee. Once the budget comes, things usually move pretty quickly. Um, you know, you always get that potential that that once the budget passes, then they do all the rest of the business and potentially you do get right up to the end of the fiscal year. But um, you know, I guess the the good thing is we don't have to go past 10 o'clock very much anymore. Speaker Mattiello is actually pretty uh, held firm on that rule, and so we're not in the state house at three and four in the morning like uh, kind of the old days. Maybe. The
0: the picture of the representative asleep at three in the morning—I would have been right with him. <laughs> not <laughs> the greatest in the, uh, in
3: the even, even with a
0: nap. I'm not sure I would make it through the uh, through the mm-hmm. night as I used to. All right, what are we going to do with the Superman building? That is the big question. Uh, another question: A national uh, historic group said it is one of the 30 uh, most endangered historic places in the country. This doesn't really change the status of what's going on with this building, but Arlene, I, you know, there's not an appetite to help it from a taxpayer standpoint. Other people have said. Should we just knock it down? Other people say the building's iconic. Seven years it's been empty, and I wonder. It's a prime piece of real estate. Any Mm
1: -hmm. thoughts on where we might go with this? Well,
2: as you know, at some point uh, on the cost-benefit analysis, uh, we'll cross that point where it's more lucrative to knock it down than not. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, Maybe putting it on this historical list will generate some interest in it. But in the final analysis, the building's been bought and uh, the people own it. Right. And, High Rock uh, they, bought
0: it, and then it went south, and they had the issue with the tenants and
2: all that. But it's their problem. It's their, it, it should be their problem. And I know people are pushing for private-public partnership, et cetera. But I don't think we should put the thumb on the scale for any particular developer. It's up to the people who bought it. They had a vision. I know the economy didn't perhaps cut their way. It certainly is cutting their way now. But it's, it's up to them to do it. I don't, I don't see taxpayer money... Uh, becoming involved, I, I see. It maybe it will, but it shouldn't become involved.
0: And then the problem is, if you get nonprofits involved, then does it get, get off the tax rolls? Well, I don't ult- think ultimately that's going to happen. But that's all. That's a lot of. Tax well, yeah. Rolling.
3: And one of the things with, with you know a lot of folks, I think, think that you know why can't the state just knock it down or, or take it over and things like that? I mean, yeah. they're these are private owners. Technically, they've paid their taxes on time. They've been good corporate citizens in that way they have tried to protect the building a bit they can't find a tenant for it so it, it's really difficult to just take the building when these right. folks aren't really doing anything particularly wrong also there's not a solution there the governor has spent you know years the governor and the commerce corporation trying to pitch this building to paypal to citizens bank to lots of companies there isn't a ton of interest in it so you know keep it on the tax roll try to figure it out privately i think is well, probably what's the, the feeling
0: at providence city hall about that
3: you know they've passed it off, they've let it go to the to the state in a lot of ways. Um, I think they've want they've taken a back seat to it. They obviously want to fill it. I think they would be open. I think the Lois administration would be open to some form of public subsidy, but I'm sure they with don't want that to With all that money they have, they're flush well, with, right? <laughs>
1: And and, the, and just to give you the money context, we were just talking about four million roughly to, for the parks statewide. Mm-hmm. This is we're getting up to, to fix this buildings like north One, of a hundred million. hundred fifteen
2: million. Yeah. Is so the last quote.
1: so I am very sympathetic to the historic pre- preservation argument, and I hope the building doesn't get knocked down and the rest of it. But given our priorities in Rhode Island here, um, this doesn't strike me. And I'm I, I live in Providence. I love Providence as a high one. If you can if you can figure out how to do it cost-effectively, absolutely.
0: Think of the logistics, though, if you were going to knock it down. <laughs> how, how would you do that? You can't implode it brick by brick. It's like, I'm sorry, Kennedy Plaza will be shut down for the next three years, right? right. <laughs> right. I don't know. All right. Um, <laughs> TF Green Airport. We've all known it. Well, for some of you out there, you call it still call it Hillsgrove, but that goes way, way back. Uh, there was a bill at the State House. This died in last year's um, uh, session to rename it Rhode Island International Airport. There was now a compromise to call it Rhode Island T.F. Green International <laughs> Airport. I'm not sure whether this matters to anybody else. It certainly seems to matter to the Commerce Corporation. Any thoughts on this? Nostalgia versus getting into marketing?
1: I'm, I'm big on nostalgia. However, just the way the world works. Actually, what, what, what's the Providence Civic Center? The Dunkin' yep. Arena? What's, what's every sports team? Um, I mean, I don't love the trend. Bank of America, whatever. I, I, and Senator Green, T.F. Green, it, it was a great Rhode Islander, whether his name was on the airport or not. This, this seems like a reasonable compromise. Um, this isn't the fight I would, the hill I would choose to die on if I was representative of Lima. But, but it looks like they've worked out a compromise. And and marketing's important to this stuff. If we can get some extra revenue for the airport. I think that's great. I'm glad they could compromise on something like this, something so important and
3: <laughs> figure it out right. I mean, I actually as the, you know, somebody who's covered Providence for a long time. I always thought Providence is you say you're flying to Providence. I think the mayor wanted it to be Providence International Airport. Obviously, I understand all the reasons why people were against that, but let's be honest. Your people are flying in, they're flying to Providence. That's that's the way you do it. And so I think it should have been Providence International. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, wasn't even on the table. They throwing it over a <laughs>
2: sub ad. Yes. Oh yeah, <laughs> there you go. I, I'm glad he had a short name because it makes sense for the compromise. Otherwise, the sign, the, screen, right? yeah, the sign would be winding around the corners of the terminal. But I don't. So, do you have a preference, one or the other? Sure,
0: I, I like the compromise. Yeah, you know the other thing though is you fly to O'Hare. Now, I understand this is a whole different scale. You fly to Hartsfield or people say Atlanta. So I'm not sure that I buy this whole commerce uh, corporation and, and the airport corporation that we need this to get people here. I think if you make it an attractive airport where the rates are good, you can get, you know, maybe nonstop. To uh, to <laughs> California, that would be better than the naming. But I understand. I, I don't really care, but I understand uh, t- some of uh, Mr. Green's uh, his grandson or somebody yeah. came to testify last year.
3: So, yeah. and to their credit, by the way, they have done a pretty good job at the airport recently. You know, you've, you're seeing more flights coming, you know, going mm-hmm. to Dominican Republic internationally, yeah. things like that. So they are doing the things that actually make it a good airport. It's not necessarily. It's the never going to
1: be a major factor, but but. And, again, we've got to compromise. It's terrific, so I'm, I don't <laughs> want to relitigate it, although I like the providence idea. Um, maybe, maybe we'll work together Almost on this it's to say, but
0: They say providence, but you're really in war. <laughs> like the guy from Oakland cares, right? There yeah. you go. <laughs>
1: um, but but the, um, the one point I make, even if it's a very marginal thing, and they say we can boost revenues 0.3% or something, or 2% at the airport and get a few more p- passengers, it might be worth it. Okay. But, we're, but we're there.
0: We shall see. Let's do uh, outrages or kudos. Mr. McGowan, let's begin with you. And also, let's note, uh, you've s- seen us introduce Dan McGowan is with WPRI since the last time he was on. He has moved to the Boston Globe. So tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yes, thank you. Uh, so we're uh, coming to Rhode Island to do uh, – we're going to have three reporters, myself, Ed, F- uh, Ed Fitzpatrick, and Amanda Milkovitz, two veteran reporters here from the Providence Journal uh, most recently. Um, you know, We're going to be in Rhode Island covering politics, covering the economy, covering the big issues – we're going to really roll out next week with a bunch of kind of bigger stories. We're going to have a daily newsletter that I'm really excited about. It's going to kind of break down what's happening every day um, uh, in the state. So. Uh, I'm excited to be part of a, a newspaper that's really growing and, and really uh, committed. We have great leadership that's committed to being in this state, and so uh, I'm really excited, and it's such an honor to be working for the place I always wanted to work for. All right,
0: that's so good. tell the editors up at the Globe when they visit, do not use a straw in your Dells, okay? Give right. the,
1: uh, <laughs> or a
0: coffee mill. Use a straw in the coffee <laughs> Rob, what do you have for an outrage? Uh,
1: my outrage, which, which um, could be the perennial outrage, and we could do one every hour, but is President Trump's reaction to uh, Bob Mueller's um, finally speaking? Mueller speaks after all the, the what he spoke on Wednesday, and then drops the mic. And did right? drop the mic, but but spoke spoke with nuance and powerfully. And and my outrage is his main point, aside from the mm. obstruction of justice stuff and, and where all the media went, is the Russian attack on our democracy. He said it's something every American should be concerned about, and it's systematically laid out. In the report, president has no real reaction to that. Never does. Downplays it. Um, from good sources, you can't even mention it to him because he thinks it somehow threatens his legitimacy. Number one job of a commander in chief is to protect our democracy and to pre- and to protect um, our national security. Has any reporter not asked doing it. the president? Have you read the full report? Has anybody asked him that? I don't know. You know what he Because they're saying.
0: asking Congress people now. Yeah. About a th- yeah. They won't answer the question, He's, right?
1: gu- he's going to say yes, even though we know he doesn't read anything.
2: Right. <laughs> Arlene? Uh, I think this General Assembly has been more pandering uh, than usual. Last time I was on, I mentioned, of course, the Evergreen contract, the firefighter's contract, three attorneys who were legislators putting a bill that there shouldn't be a public... Uh, announcement of the background check done for uh, judicial candidates, et cetera. Uh, And and, and, uh, there's another lawyer who put a bill in uh, that, uh, you know, talked about the fact that uh, judges uh, uh, should uh, not have this background as well. So to me, that's just pandering uh, uh, to them. So I just, it, it reminded me of the bad old days Uh, When this legislation went in, uh, I like Bob Craven as a person, his legislation, you know, to give $500 bonuses to retirees, to go around from the colas, the colas, the, the colas et cetera. It, it's just unbelievable, particularly in light of uh, the pension report that magazine published. So and it's just pandering, pandering, pandering.
0: All right. We have a couple of minutes left. Let's go back to national right. and let's talk about um, we, we asked this question last week. Does impeachment help Donald Trump or does it hurt him? I mean, everybody thinks it hurts him, but it's nuanced. And I think that's why we see Nancy Pelosi maybe a little bit like I this. Think
1: it's hard to know how it plays out, because it's not static, and information could be uncovered. But I think as a political judgment, it probably helps him, and it's not good for the Democrats. Um, and you're not going to get him without a new set of facts, even though I think this set of facts is pretty damning, um, you're not, you're not going to get a, convic- convic- a conviction in the Senate, minus some, some more revelations. <laughs> so now
0: um, that looks like a victory uh, for yeah, him.
1: I think, I think it does, and it, and it and allows him to do what he does best, which is play the victim. And the other thing is, the compelling argument, really, I think, against moving to impeachment is you got an election. November, impeachment's a very drastic step. If you look at both Nixon and Clinton, there wasn't another election to have. Here we've got an election in, in about a year and change, so that's what people are going to want.
3: If you listen to what Congressman Cicilline, who seems to be pushing this fairly aggressively, says is you know it's not impeachment, it's an inquiry about impeachment. The thing is, though, and I'm not sure that, that the American people will know the difference when President Trump every day on Twitter and wherever he can, can do it will say, they're trying to impeach me. So I tend to agree with Rob on this. I think that it, it's potentially a scenario where this will benefit the president uh, uh, in the long run.
2: Final word? You, ca- you can't really even start any such inquiry until
3: the redactions
2: are gone and you see the whole report. Why would you even start such a process on a report that you don't even know what all the content of it is? But I do think, given the fact that the election is around the corner, that Pelosi is right relative to how she's handling Focus. it. Focus. Yes. All right.
0: That is all the time we have, folks. We appreciate you joining us. Arlene, good to see you again. Dan, congratulations. We'll look forward to reading you in The Globe. And Rob, Always good to see you. And folks, if you don't catch us at our usual time, Friday at 7 and Sunday at noon, we are online. You can find us in Facebook, Twitter. You can uh, go online on YouTube. And we're now on your favorite podcast. So take us along with you on the ride wherever you go. We appreciate your loyalty to this show. We love you having you every week. And one thing is certain, no matter what happens, we will be back here next week as a Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week.
1: experiment is generously underwritten by for 30 years a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing rhode islanders hi i'm john hazen white jr and i'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program